when on the darkest night there's something bright to set my fancy free. I have made a special little list of what means most in life to me. Come, we will count together. One, a nice house that's haunted so there's company. Two, a nice ghost who's friendly and can come to tea. Three, a fat spider spinning in the gloom. Four, a lovely cobweb to decorate the room. Ah, five, a flight of stairs that creak in the dark even when there's no one going up and down. Six, a quiet castle. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. Here we are in the month of Halloween. All Hallows' Eve is coming upon us. <laughs> and as such, we've got a special show for you. And Tim, Tim, Tim Elliott is going to tell you what it's all about. All right. <laughs> It's like you Let froze for a second. Let go my arm. No, you're, you're, uh, you're twisting my arm. Okay, okay, I got it. There are those who I didn't, call I, didn't, I didn't even introduce Tim. anybody here. Okay, you got you got Tim Elliott, you got Kurt Greenfield, you got John Hyatt, and, you know, me. So uh, say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Good morning. All right, Tim, what, what, what are we doing today? Well, as our standard, we've been, last couple of years, I think we've done, I try to do a Halloween uh, episode. We call our Halloween Scaretacular, and I thought, well, well, we haven't done a top. This actually, I'm going to credit this to Nigel because he recommended we haven't done a top five in a while. So I said, why don't we come up with our top five scary moments in a burn book, whether it's his art or his writing, it could be either one. Uh, so I tasked that to everybody, and everybody came up with their lists, and we are going to reveal them on this show. One at oh, a time. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One at a time. That, that's really cool. Um, is, is Nigel joining us? Nigel's not. Unfortunately, I didn't. Um, mm. uh, it was his recommendation. So he gets full credit for the uh, the concept. But we need, uh, I think we need to get something big for Nigel to come back on. But gotcha. he will return. Like a, Nigel will return. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, we like, we like Nigel. Right, Nigel yeah. is one of us. One yeah, of us. One of. And <laughs> uh, I, I know we talked <clears throat> off air that we really didn't have anything to talk about, but I'm just going to ask this uh, before we get into our list: Does has anybody watched the Werewolf by Night like one shot yes. on Disney Plus? Oh, yes. No. We watched that Friday night. That. Yeah, it. Uh, I guess it's I don't want to drop Halloween special. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it dropped so, Friday, and it is Marvel's Halloween special. They want to do something yeah. like this every year. Yeah. It's a and, one. It's um, like it's like an hour. It's like fifty-two minutes. It's real quick. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I won't discuss it since John hadn't seen it. Oh gosh. Maybe next so time. There. No, there's go a ahead lot of discuss it. That'll be fine. Well, I'll I'll check into it. Let's talk there, about it on the show. It's great. Well, I just there's one thing I, I got to mention because it is it, it's like a hilarious little thing. And if you've been watching Picard and uh, other shows, you, you may you may know this, but one of the actors in it is the guy that played the punk that shot the bird at Spock and Kirk in Star Trek Four. Right. And Spock clearly did the Vulcan neck pinch on him. Oh, and he's the also bus. been on the show. Yeah, yeah, it's on the bus. bus. Right. And if you watch Picard, the last season of Picard, he was there in there also. 
And uh, his name is Kirk. Same role. Yeah. Yeah. And he's done it in other things where he's played the same guy. So, I mean, if you look on his IMDb, you'll see he's played like, like punk on this, punk on that, punk on bus, you know. And so he, that's kind of like his thing. But he's also big on the, like a producer for um, almost everything Muppet related. And uh, he's, uh, you know, in this role, he's actually playing a, a monster hunter. And his name's Kirk Thatcher. Yeah. And uh, I was really impressed with, with what he did. Uh, I, I thought the whole special was really, really uh, amazing. And um, I can never remember this guy's name, uh, the main the main star, Gail Bernal Garcia, I think is his name. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. And then, of course, I can't I can't surprise the I can't ruin the surprise, though, of uh, the favorite Marvel character that uh, many of us really, really like. Well, it's I give him again, I don't want to spoil it for you, John. It it's all in black and white. It's very atmospheric. Yeah. It's very Universal Monsters uh uh, inspired. Uh, I I wasn't maybe not as high on it as you on Brian. I thought some of the changes they made. Um, I wasn't crazy yeah, about. I, I I do like. I was worried about the look of one monster. When we finally see the monster, I was yeah mostly happy with what they did. They didn't really go yes. crazy. But I'll say this: it's a little it's a little violent for Disney. It's a yeah. It's more of a. PG thirteen soft R. But being in black and white, I thought gave them the ability to to do things that they they, they wouldn't have been able to do in color, or wouldn't Pro- wanted to do in exactly color. exactly. And I think it, it it harkens back a little bit to the when they when the the code was was laxed, so they could start bringing in monsters and stuff in the early seventies, mm-hmm. and they started doing those black and white. Uh, kind of horror mags that were a little more mm-hmm. adult than the mainstream books. That's what this feels like. And there was uh, some deep pulls in Marvel history. I mean, you'll be pulling out your old Hot Moon Deluxe Edition um, in this uh, for some of the characters that are in there, and you'll remember them. But but yeah, yeah. they're definitely well, you know different. by name only, right? And the one yeah, the one actress that showed up, I thought, oh, is this from another show? Then I realized she's playing a different character, so that threw me off right at the kind of beginning. Well, my my wife and Chris both thought that one of the, one of the characters was Jessica Jones. That's what I'm talking until about. Until they did, yeah, until they really gave her a close up. But yeah, well, it's the same actress, yeah. but she's playing a different yeah. character. No. So this is really just introducing Werewolf by Night uh, into the universe, then in a way, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And they speculate. I don't know if it's a one and done, or will he show up later? I don't know. Yeah, um, a different actress plays uh, Jessica Jones. Is it? Okay. They look yeah. very yeah, similar. This, this, okay. Yeah, well, again, you know, everybody was mistaking it, but as soon as I saw her, I was like, <clears throat> I went to IMDb to take a look, and it's Laura Donnelly. Uh, and you might remember, I mean, she's, you know, in Outlander, which is one of my wife's. Uh, one of my, one of those shows that she has to watch, mm-hmm. and uh, the Nevers and Britannia, and, yeah, but uh, that's one I think most people recognize. And she plays uh, the sister Jenny Fraser on uh, Outlander, and so it's like you know my wife. Once I said who she was, my wife's oh okay, she recognized her, you know. But uh, yeah, oh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of Marvel fun uh, that that brought in so much of of Marvel horror elements. 
uh, from from those books. And, and, you know, there's some characters you'll recognize and then they introduce some characters. So, you know, um, a lot of fun. And again, if you got Disney Plus, it's there for you to watch right now. So, it's worth uh, watching. I think it's worth yeah. watching. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and, you know, once you once you see the, the surprise, uh, you'll, uh, you'll I think you'll just have to say something. But but we'll see. Anyway, uh, so uh, we're going to get into what is it, Tim? A top five? Top five. Scary, horrific, disturbing. And it could be issues or moments or panels. It's really up to uh, you. So it's not a, there's not a hard and fast rule as to what we're doing here. And I think we're going to let Kurt go first because we have a time limit on uh, Mr. Greenfield. So we're going to let him reveal his choices first. All right. Now, are, I, does somebody have a, a scary cowbell or a, a <laughs> scary screaming goat or, or something scary that they can play when it's time for us to... To move along, so to speak. Well, like, yeah. Okay, okay. That's kind of scary on its own. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 well, just, just, just the threat thunder. of those goats is enough. That's <laughs> what I was afraid. Of. <laughs> there you go. All right, Kirk, we'll kick it off. All right. Um, I chose uh, individual issues, and then I realized that I wasn't doing just issues. They were qu- quickly. I was choosing two-part stories that were in you know straddled two issues. So. These are not in any particular order, and since there's been a rule added that X-Men 143 may not be on the list, may or may not. No, but, uh, no, 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 no. It's, that's not a rule. We didn't, we didn't decide that early enough, but I think it's a given everybody's going to have that on their list. But if you've got it, go ahead and say it, and we'll, we'll talk about it. All right. Um, I'm going to try something here to, uh, to share so that you guys can see which issue I'm referring to. Uh, I don't know if it's going to work. My first one that I want to present was X-Men 127, which is part of the Proteus mm-hmm. saga. And uh, I'm trying to call up the cover so that I can share it with you, but I, I don't know if my, um, my Skype is going to uh, allow that. In particular, it's the ability to, to rend reality and make things um, into a, a maelstrom. Um, that, that really creeped me out. Anytime that I read that story and look at it, uh, I just get a sense of terror from uh, Proteus closing in and what he does to people, turning them into, burning them out and turning them into corpses, not necessarily zombies, but yeah. So that's, that's I'm going to call that an ex, uh, a, a burn uh, issue. And that's my first one. I'm going to stop sharing here. I don't know that this is actually going to work. Anymore, so. Um, my next one, and again, these are not. But, any- before you before you go, though, I, I just got to say, you, you know, that, that's a, a really really good pick. I didn't even this one. I, I mean, as I was sitting there perusing, you know, all the books, I I, I didn't even think about the Proteus thing. I, I mean, I've got X Men entries, and you know, we'll get to them later. But I mean, really, what, what you got here is is the, like this is precursor to John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, in a lot of ways, yeah. so, and, yeah. and I mean, there's of course other things that did sing, things creep in a creepy way, but yeah, Proteus, like when he comes across that woman and, and, and he takes her over, and you see that on the ground that she's, you know, Peter Pan's basically. You know that he 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 he's just evil incarnate and able to just bring out the fear and and dread in everybody. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's a really good pick. Yeah. It almost made my list. It didn't. 
but it was, it was close. All right, I'm going to go for my, my next one. And again, right. these are not necessarily in order, but uh, turning to FF, Fantastic Four 276. I believe it's titled Suffer a Witch to Live. It's a black and white oh, cover yeah. where the FF are uh, somewhat blindsided by a, um, I want to say witch hunter, but that's not necessarily true. Uh, a modern day witch who's, again, not realizing that she's being corrupted by uh, Mephisto, but she she comes after them. Anyways, the cover is extremely striking because it's only in black and white. Uh, it's a technique that he doesn't use often, but when he does, it's extremely effective. And the fact that it is immediately behind 275, which was the homework assignment for some of us to go read, makes it uh, even more of a shock to go from a lighthearted episode to this really dark uh, episode really set it off nicely as far as I was concerned. So that's that's my uh, next option. Is that an Agatha Harkness? Is she in that episode? Uh, Doctor, she's in Do that. Doctor Strange, I think. Uh, well, actually, no. He does, yeah, he shows up at the very end of this one because it's a continuation story. But you got Mephisto as the big reveal at the, at the, the very end. But you also had that sickening moment where Reed's arm got snapped. And, you know, just... I mean, that that made me almost physically ill when I read it, because you just don't think of Mr. Fantastic, you know, the stretchy stretch guy getting his arm broken. And, yeah, there was a lot of really creepy, creepy stuff in this in this particular one. And it's weird because this one that started off on a happy note with Johnny Storm professing to world his love for Alicia Masters. Yeah. Well, that broken arm kind of carries through to a couple episodes or issues, doesn't it? Uh, he had his arm in a sling in a, for a while. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's right. And then, of course, Franklin gets hurt and is bleeding. Uh, and so it was kind of like a, one of the, the dangling storylines story because it seemed like his blood was like hissing or, or sizzling or, hmm. you know, there was something, something going on, a, a sign or portent of future doom, no pun intended. Well, coupled, coupled with this, is the one that follows immediately 277, where Mephisto is actually on the cover. And he's got kind of a split-screen face that half of it is, I don't know, half of it is, is the image that we're used to, and half of it is is the image that they they portray him in something else. Anyways, I, I'm going to lump those two together, uh, if you'll allow me to do that, because it's basically one story. But um, that was going to be my next presentation. Oh, but that that next one's got uh, one of the scariest moments in Marvel Comics, the moment that Ben finds out that Johnny's sleeping with Alicia. That's in two seventy seven. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I haven't opened these books in in many many a year, so I'm judging from the covers. So that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that as a scary moment. Um, yeah, I thought the funny thing was that the cover. You know where you had the split split face of Mephisto. Um, it is you know the Ben Grimm story, and isn't that a dire wraith? That's what I thought it was, it was a dire wraith. It looks like a dire wraith to me. Yeah, and it actually does the thing to Ben where it sits there and, and throws that little tendril out to his head that you know is supposed to replicate and suck their you know you know do all that horrible stuff to them. 
Gosh, my uh, my uh, Skype is dropping in and out here. I'm missing a couple of words of our conversation, but I'm gonna call up the cover for 277 uh, even as we speak, and I don't know if my computer is gonna like this. So if I should drop out, you know, just so well, on. Yep. All right. Okay. What, yes, next? you're right. It does look like a diarrhea. All right. My next one is also from the FF. Only a couple issues later, it's number 280, uh, which is a hate monger. Uh, issue, and the cover shows the FF being crucified on the giant letters that spell out hate, uh, much like a spirit cover or you know a spirit uh, splash page where he's interacting with the logo. Don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's the uh, the image that I was was called to mind when I saw this thing initially. And again, it's number 280. It's the beginning of a I think at least a two part, if not three part. Um, Storyline. Is that beginning the malice storyline with that's, Susan? That's yeah. Leads to it. That's my next uh, entry. Two eighty one. Uh, yeah, because they got what? The, what is he? The Psycho Man? I don't recall. I know that he Psycho Man's involved, and I think the offshoot changing Sue into Malice is yeah. unexpected. That wasn't intentional. Uh, but of course, Burn had it all plotted out. So, yeah, well, um, the scariest part of that is Malice's costume. Yeah. <laughs> I'll grant you that. Uh, you know, I had a... Yeah, it is. Hey, Monger is in this one. Okay. I was afraid that maybe I was misremembering this. But uh, anyways, that's my next entry. I'm going to say Hate Monger and then the next issue, which is Malice. Uh, you know, just kind of creepy when you think of Sue being wholesome and good and nice and you know, the mother of the team and comforting everybody else to turn and become Dark Phoenix or Dark Wanda or however you want to say it. Um, and she's supremely powerful. Boy, is she aggressive with her force. And I think that's what Burn was just demonstrating, that she yeah. is one of the more powerful members of EFF with all the stuff she's doing with her powers. Oh, definitely the most powerful. And in all of this, of course, is I think probably she was so incredibly unhappy after her hairdresser gave her a mullet. Yeah, she does unfortunately yeah. have that terrible haircut. That's yes. Well, John is going to be thrilled with my next entry uh, because it's in Namor. Uh, Namor, number 11, The Return of the Invaders. This is the, mm. the book that we've covered before, that uh, basically Namor is being tortured. He's being roasted to death, dehydrated, and he begins to hallucinate um, the people around him. And when some heroes come to save him, he hallucinates that they are the invaders, uh, re reunited. Anyways, it's uh, I always found this one to be pretty creepy between Namor's red skin bright red skin like he's been out in the sun too long and the idea of being dehydrated and roasted is just this one has always kind of creeped me out so uh I'm, that's going to be my my next entry what i thought was funny was uh what was the name of that guy he was like the main the guy in the, the white suit that had the purple skin uh, purple man no, no. Well, no, he's not Purple Man, but um, he, he just, you know, the thing was, Byrne actually was wanting him to be really tanned, and somehow they translated that to purple, which is really weird, because he, he was actually talking about this this issue this week uh, on his website, because Glennis really? Oliver, you know, arguably one of the greatest colorists 
uh, at Marvel during this age was the colorist on there. So she, he just always had complete trust in her work. So he figured it had to be a printing error that, uh, that she would come out, that the character would come out purplish. Again, well, no, I mean, again, this was a, 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 you know, during the era of duo shade and flexographic printing. And so this was uh, the, the printing for these, these issues was like just really, really, uh, all the colors were just really uh, harsh. Yeah. I mean, blacks were harsh, blues were harsh, and that tan just came out looking purple. In, in all three books. <laughs> so, yeah. So go with it. Well, is, is it, do we have reprints of that? I wonder if it's been corrected. I don't know if, there, if there's a Namor omnibus, it might uh, you, you might check that, but I yeah. I, I haven't seen seen anything later than that. There was a trade paperback that I think Volume One collected into there, but I I didn't get that one, and now it's uh, it's prohibitively expensive. It's a, what was it called? Yeah. Uh, Dark Nativity. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, that's that's my fourth entry, and right. for my my fifth entry. Um, again, I'm trying to share the screen here, and I don't know if it's going to help or not, but as you may have guessed, X-Men 143, City <laughs> Demon. Um, and I, I would probably put this one up on top as my number one um, because it is so effective an homage to Alien. It is so good mm -hmm. to see the little um, somewhat innocent team overwhelmed by this demon that she's not <clears throat> expecting successfully avoiding it, like in the movie Halloween, how the babysitter constantly stays one step ahead of the uh, killer, and then and ultimately, um, you know, you come to the very end and you're not sure whether she's made it or not, a last-ditch effort, and very happy resolution at the end. Oh, by the way, the mansion got trashed again, and the Blackbird, <laughs> and Oro's uh, greenery, and, you know, yeah, I had a pretty good time, guys. How did? How was your evening? You know, I liked it very much. It, it has yeah. a special spot in my heart because as I signed up, came back to comics and signed up for my subscription, that was the first issue that showed up in my mailbox. And immediately the next issue, I discovered that Vern had left, and I was so pissed. <laughs> so that's my top five list, guys. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, X Men One Forty Three. We can't just stop and move on to the next thing. We've got to talk about this. Okay. I mean, because you know, for me, this book had a an actual jump scare that I hadn't really. I mean, we just experienced like a shock uh, a moment. The, the issues before in like the death of Wolverine in the Days of Future Past when he got fried, and then right. the other X Men were killed behind him, and that was a shock. But this right here had that that you know actual alien jump scare when the couple was going to get their Christmas tree and that guy's sitting there looking for the squirrel or whatever it is and the demon's hand comes out, grabs him and, and you get the, the description that just says for Douglas Moore, death is virtually instantaneous. And you can see that and you know it just it crushed and ripped his uh, throat out and I was, I, again, a 13 year old kid, scared the ever-loving crap out of me. And that's like the first time a comic book really gave me that kind of scare. And that's one of the reasons why I thought, well, yeah, this is a great one for us to cover. But then I realized, yeah, everybody's going to want to cover this one. But yeah, the relentless, uh, uh, you know, 
onslaught of this creature chasing Kitty through the house, going through walls like they're toilet paper, was, uh, yeah, it just gave you this idea there's no way she could survive this. And it could even hurt her when she's phasing. So it was, I mean, just, yeah. That 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 right there is probably Burns' scariest uh, moment at Marvel. That was his parting shot, parting gift to the X-Men and the X-Men fans. It was a wonderful mm-hmm. one. Um, you know, no question about and, it. See, and they thought that it's not on our list. And and he had mentioned on his side that they were they thought that they were being subtle and sly, <laughs> not the alien. <laughs> as subtle as a hammer. Not very yeah, subtle. Not, not very subtle at all. Especially when Claremont re- rec- you know refers to it in the story. Because Kitty thinking about how how that you know killed the alien, so that's what she decides to do with the blackbird. You that's, know what they could have what they could have done if they wanted to to really homage it. They could have maybe because uh, I think the book came out after Alien was out. Maybe in the book, Kitty had seen the movie, and the demon takes that image from her mind and forms itself mm-hmm. as the xenomorph. Or something similar. That way you get you yeah. get away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you I mean, might they're not surprised they didn't get a lawsuit. Isn't that the famous tale that they were all holding their breath going, oh dear, we're over the line? And yet, no lawsuit, no cease and desist, there was no reaction at all to this issue <laughs> from the, uh, the, the movie studio. So, you know, yeah, that's I, what I remember about this. I think well, things you know, were different back then because there was a lot of, I mean, there were times where, yeah, it was definitely not this, you know, not the direct homage. But, I mean, in Marvel, I mean, they must have had a deal or something because they always had, like, the names of the movies on the marquees or they really riffed and referenced films a lot in their text. DC was, uh, from what I recall, DC didn't do any direct Things. So, like, if they have a band that kind of looks like the Beatles, they call them like the oh. Roaches or something, you know. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was obvious they were ripping the Beatles, but they, DC was less, I think, less um, directly relating it to those things. But uh, Marvel, oh, and a lot of times they always had, they always had likenesses in there. And uh, what's it like being a mild mannered reporter? Yeah, yeah, well, I don't mean likenesses of DCs, but they had likenesses of um, real world Pop people, black actors, and actors. Oh, yeah. So well, I think yeah, it's like a lot have... of reason why some stuff can't go into print or reprint now because now they have to deal with those estates and, and uh, uh, people like, for uh, permissions. Yeah. I think that was a well, different uh, time. If yeah. that, today, yeah, they, they would they, absolutely be sued. If they were worried about be being sued back then. If they were really worried about being sued, they'd be more worried about Days of Future Past getting sued by Harlan Ellison back in the day. But he never, I don't think he ever did anything in that regard. He went after Terminator, but... Uh, yeah, they just had to give it a go. Well, the Days of Future Past is heavily, Bernice Belf has said <laughs> it's heavily uh, influenced by a Doctor Who episode. From the early Day of the, yeah, Day of the Daleks, that's right. Yeah, yeah and, they, and of course, they never heard anything from them either. No. But, you know, I, I mean, again, it's like comic books are that redheaded stepchild that's sitting there waiting to be picked at the basketball game and nobody picks him up. 
you know, he's got his hand, I'm ready to come in. Well, I, I, I think when Terminator Cameron was more afraid of Ellison, who was a known curmudgeon and would probably raise a fuss. Very litigious. He was yeah. very litigious. And yeah, but, yeah, but I mean, he did. Ellison did make a fuss, and so later versions of it, you know, had, you know, uh, with, you know, acknowledging the works of Harlan Ellison. Yeah. So and I think another thing about that era, so we're looking at 70s, early 80s. Uh, comic books were still considered a throwaway commodity. I mean, right? Yeah, some right. of us were starting to collect them longer and get into them longer, but I don't. They were still considered kitty stuff. They were still thought of as kitty stuff. It'll be read, rolled up, thrown away, and maybe some kids will keep it. So I don't think they really kept a. Uh, they thought it had any kind of influence until later in the 80s and 90s, where it was like, what? Okay, <laughs> this is becoming something more. And comics always sit there and rolled off of what was popular, what was big. You know, I mean, yeah. all of a sudden, you know, cowboys are big. So let's put out some Western books. So or all of a sudden, you know, for some reason, talking talking raccoons are big. But we digress <laughs> from X-Men 143. <laughs> yeah. So is X-Men 143 a horror story or a Christmas story? Horror. Yes. <laughs> yes. I will. Yes, it is. I'll All say right, it's well, Christmas. Go ahead. I mean, in fact, the main character is Kitty, who's Jewish. That's a good point. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, I mean, it's, you know, again, it takes place at Christmas time. We all get the Christmas feel from it. It's even got a Christmas tree on the cover. Hello, Die Hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, to, it, it is a Christmas story because that's when I, I sit there and think to look at it. But, uh, yeah. Well, we covered it as a Christmas episode. Yeah, we did. Yep, yes, we did. We'll put a link to so, that in for this show. So if you've heard us talk about it, you can go back and, or maybe we'll re-release it during Christmas. Kurt, do you have any last notes on your uh, top five there? No, that's pretty much it. I've, I've, uh, I've given you it all. I'm going to have to leave very quickly here, guys. So uh, well, I will tune in and listen to the rest of the episode when it airs. All right. Well, we really enjoyed that. It was a good list. Thanks for uh, letting me go first. I appreciate that. Oh, no worries. Take care. All right. Fine. See you soon. All right. Who's next? Uh, I don't. I don't John, care. John. John, do you want to go next? Um, I can. Uh, All right. So I uh, kind of struggled with this because there's not a lot of horror horror to go through for like what we would consider for Halloween. So. Um, and I, I should have asked, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Uh, and then Tim was mentioning, you know, disturbing times and things like that. So I'm like, all right. So what I've got here kind of is going to work out, I think. So, uh, of course, X-Men 143, we've, we've discussed that. Um, that is really one of the, the coolest and, and best uh, of those types of things uh, from Burns' work. We really like it. Uh, so my uh, my next one is X-Men 140, and it's when Wendigo um, slaughters that family. <laughs> that to me was just, uh, uh, who was it when Kirk said that, yeah, when he got this, uh, or Brian, was it you that said like, oh man, that was, in 143, that was really, man, that's shocking to me. This scene in X-Men 140 really shocked me because I was, you know, I, it it stands out in my mind. I don't know if it's the first time I'm like, what the heck? 
but it is it really stands out because it really uh, is a, a big scene. Do you guys re- recall that scene? Yeah, I mean, it's again, you know, when you see a giant creature that eats people, and I remember they, like they show it sitting there chewing on the bone when it actually came out after Nightcrawler. Um, because that was a huge, huge shock though when it, when when that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because was... you had you had the everyday storyline going on, you know, in New York where Storm was being chased around by that um, um, lady smasher, we'll just call him. <laughs> the the disco lady smasher, and uh, Kitty Pride and, and introducing Stevie Hunter, and all. Next thing you know, it's like Nightcrawler is just being chased by the uh, by the Wendigo. So I bet he was revealed in the previous issue, wasn't he? Um, was he in the previous issue? I, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. It, it was the, the previous issue actually. Um, it, it's, it's it might it might be the previous issue you're really thinking about because this is oh no 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 this is where Wolverine comes across him in his lair, and that's yeah. definitely the the creepiest part of it because he's sitting there chewing on bones and stuff. Yeah, and then me, deciding it's, it's when he got the family. So uh, so that's so that's must be in one thirty nine. Yeah, because wasn't he a? It was a he was a known somebody they knew because the isn't the myth of the Wendigo if you, it's if you resort to cannibalism you will become the Wendigo. You're cursed with it, I think. Isn't that yeah. how it works? Yeah. So, so that was the that was the creepy scene for me. I, I, and yeah, you know, yeah, seeing him gnaw on the bones later that is pretty creepy. But no, the where he actually uh, was chased down and and hunted down that family that was. That's well, they, they don't show him actually hunting the family. That's the thing. They they say this family, the Parnells, are missing. The yeah, previous I, issue really only had Wendigo in flashbacks, and you know, showing Wolverine fighting him and the Hulk, and then the Wendigo doesn't show up until the very last page as the reveal, and then it's this issue that really gives you the full scope of the Wendigo and shows him, you know, in his lair with the bones and stuff. But I. Yeah. I don't well, think there's, there's actual stalking. Well, there is a scene where the family is there, and you know that he's after them, and he gets them. So that's what I'm talking yeah. about. To uh, me, the, the the scary part of that issue was um, actually the uh, the moment after uh, what's a bunch of snowbird. Okay, some there's some bad noise going on. But uh, the the thing where Snowbird turns into a real Wolverine. And attacks Wendigo, and the ferocity of that attack was able to take out Wendigo. And then they just show her, and she's standing over the body as uh, a Wolverine. And I thought that was really chilling, because yeah, she you can see like a little bit of blood dripping off the mouth. And oh yeah, that was a good pick. A lot of lot of creepy stuff in there. Jim, do you have any thoughts on that issue? No. Okay. Yeah, I. But it's to my memory that is more of, uh, of the background of the Wendigo. Because I think when he showed up in the Hulk, he was just uh, a monster, and then it's later. I don't know if it was Bernard Claremont that came up with the whole cannibalism thing, or if that's an actual Canadian myth, maybe. Um, and then the 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 part you were talking about, Brian, with 
um, Snowbird. But for some reason, my I was thinking that happened in Alpha Flight, where she becomes, and what seems to be a much bigger. I don't think she's an actual Wolverine size, but she's like a an over <clears throat> an oversized Wolverine. Yeah, and yeah, and I think that's to to kind of demonstrate like, well, if Wolverine gets his name from this creature, and he's ferocious. And this, the real creature, is enough to destroy the Wendigo. And you're right. It's that scene of it standing on top of the body and its face is dark. You just see the teeth. And it's like it is dripping blood. That's that's pretty uh, pretty horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Good pick there, John. Yeah. So uh, my next one we've covered uh, as well. Uh, Cap 254. And for me, it's mm-hmm. the uh, the beheading of Baron Blood. Oh, God. Um, not necessarily chilling in a frightening way, but just chilling in other ways. Um, and we discussed, I think, that, you know, Cap's struggle and stuff. Well, he was a soldier. He wouldn't have had a struggle, I don't think. But just seeing those that silhouette of it actually happening, that was pretty impressive and uh you're just like wow okay <laughs> and what was it kathunk or something like that that was the sound uh, effect <laughs> and i'm pulling it up right now chuck yeah chuck. it was chuck i mean for me that the the moment that was really scary about that was you know he's sitting there holding down barren blood and he's ripping at cap's chainmail, and it's actually ripping off of his off of his body and you can see the struggle in cap's face as he's going through, you know, all sorts of struggles, both internally and externally, before he, you know, does the shield and does the John Walker on him. And I say the John Walker is reference to uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier TV series. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Oof. that's a that's a good example of, of course, they were due to code. They could only they couldn't show so much, but sometimes if you do something in silhouette or you imply. It can be more horrific than if you actually drew it straight out because the your brain will fill in yeah. much more horrific than what they could probably draw. And, and yes. I think it's, it sets the tone of that much better than if they had done any other kind of thing. So right, just, just drawing it straight out. And you know, we definitively found out in this issue that shadows do have speed lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, my next one is, uh, I think, just really horrifying to me, on, you know, in a, in a way. And it is Batman Superman Generations first series, issue three, and oh. when he killed his sister. Man, I tell you, I thought about that one. I that thought about that one really hard. A horrific battle and... Um, just and then that one giant panel where he just puts his fist through her chest is just super disturbing. <laughs> no pun intended. It is really disturbing and just really horrifying. Uh, and to see her body laying out, it's just it's very just intense. The the look on her face in that full page image when the hand you can see the hand is going all the way through her, and her cape is stretching behind. The look on her face is, it, gosh, it made me, it made me almost ill reading it. It did, it, and I was actually yeah. quite angry with Burn. I'm like, you know, you don't need to be this graphic, I, and 
you know, I know you want to move the story over and give him something to regret and all that, but man, was it just, it was just so intense. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and in, in, in that line, I got that. I think that's what hurt a lot of Generations 3 is that he kind of repeats the this kind of defeat or whatever that Superman goes through uh, in, in the third one. That, that in the third one, it's at the hands of Darkseid, you know, before turning things around. And, and, and this right, this issue alone was just like so much. Not only does he lose his daughter loses his son just a page page or two later mm-hmm. yeah i'm not i haven't read that in forever so i'm not as familiar with that is this scene similar to the snowbird sasquatch scene in alpha flight when she rips his heart out because he's gone because walter has been possessed by the the spirit and she becomes a, a white sasquatch and kind of pulls his rip punches his heart out of his chest I mean, he just punches his hand straight through her. No. You know, and, and you know, you just, I mean, because you see the page before, he's got his fingers splayed out and everything behind him, and he just shoves it right through her and, uh, you know, kills her instantly, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but it, it just brutal. It really is. Um, yeah. Brutal and very disturbing. Yeah. So, and my my last one is just it's creepy to me it's just it's all about the creep factor and it's fantastic for annual 17. The oh mill scrolls oh yes i didn't even think about that one but yeah <laughs> just the concept that of, the, of that oh and that one makes me physically ill too just thinking about all the rotted milk and that scene yeah. in, in her hotel room. Oh. You know, it's it's the whole invasion of the body snatchers kind of thing. You don't know who you can trust. Everything seems okay on top, but underneath, it's it's totally not what you think. And and then you think, oh, okay, I'll be able to get out of here in a couple of days. And on my way, no, you're there for the long haul until they can get you to drink the milk. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, it's just overall, it's a really creepy and it's always been a creepy story for me. And like the one scene where she was trying to get away and she was running uh, along the road, you know, she finally realized, hey, something's weird. Uh, and it's like page 11 and 12 or something like, I don't know, 15, 16 of the story because I brought it up. And you just see the desperation and the fear in her face. And uh, then she jumps into the cornfield and all of a sudden... <laughs> You know, the children of the corn are there. And it's just <laughs> those two pages just really reek of desperation and fear. Everything that that makes a horror film, especially the traditional horror films where, you know, it's not dependent on the monster slash, slashing your throat. It's mm. more the psychological horror. So I thought this was a just uh, probably a really, uh, a really good one for that type of uh, for this for this list. Yeah, now that yeah, that's a good one. Again, it's one that just passed me by in the whole consideration. But yeah, I mean, there's so much to this story that is creepy and eerie. And I bet you know the the thing. I know that the scrolls are the way they are in the MCU, but they could have made scrolls the creepiest, scariest creatures in the MCU if they really wanted to. And this right here just shows how how creepy they could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be interesting. Good pick. Good pick, yeah. I considered it, yeah. but... 
So that's my fire. Cool. Well done. Well done. Am I going next since this is your your uh, sure show? you go and I'll I'll uh, I'll bookend it. Okay. Uh, you know I I I had the thought the other day as I was going through this about X Men One Forty Three, so I decided to place it as one above all, and so it's not part of my five, list of five, but it it you know really is one of those things. Um, but. Uh, my first one, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys even considered these, but it was definitely the most disturbing issue of the bunch in the Blood of the Demon series, issue 13, which is the, the beginning of the one year later um, storyline that introduces to the Lord of the Damned. Uh, just really had such intensely creepy imagery. There's a, a segment where Etrigan is underwater and all the corpses are tied up in there. And then he breaks into the, the room and punches his fist right through this guy's head, um, just kill, killing him viciously right there in the first moment. And up to this moment in the, the demon books, we had not seen that intense level of violence. And all of a sudden, it's like Etrigan is unleashed. Of course, we find out later it's not really Etrigan, but a copy of him that uh, is less controlled than uh, than Etrigan himself. But all the violence is just magnified in this issue. And then we get introduced to the Lord of the Damned, who looks like a bigger, more vicious version of Etrigan. Etrigan, yeah. And yeah, and there's this gross scene where he's looking down at what appears to be Etrigan in a cell. And throws up on him, just regurgitates exorcist style in a projectile vomiting acidic uh, solution that's like melting the skin of his prisoner. And again, it's just so, so horrific and and creepy. I was really, the, the, the issues like had me riveted on that. And of course, you're in, walking into the middle of the story. You don't know exactly what's happened uh, over the last year. And then the final page showing Etrigan over a cauldron with his legs ripped off, you know, just in eternal pain. It really, really uh, great and creepy uh, issue. I don't know I could say it would be scary, but it was really creepy and gave you, like, sick feelings all the way through. Definitely um, accomplished its mission. Well, Burnt definitely was doing more graphic uh, stuff when he was getting to Demon. It was a little, I think they were a little, more, I don't know if they had abolished the code by then, but he was, it was more PG-13 than what they would let you get away with previously. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a code book. Even if, even if code was still around, I don't think they even submitted it yeah. for code approval. I don't think they did with any of the blood of the demon, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, John, do you have any thoughts or did you, did you read this one ever? I didn't read Blood of the Demon, so um, I don't know about that one. But it sounds really, <laughs> really sounds pretty creepy. Yeah, I, I mean, the whole series was was, was cool and a you know, good slice of DC. Um, but it was almost like taking DC, putting the Highlander in DC, I thought. It was kind of like felt like that to me. Uh, Jason Blood reminded me a lot of Conor McCloud in this series. Yeah. Uh, above, across between Conor McCloud and John Constantine, you know. Or Constantine, however you want to call it. Okay, uh, my next book is going to go way back to the early days. Champions, number 14. Can you guess why? Do you guys recall Champions 14? 
Um, it was the introduction of it was the introduction of Swarm. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, we've covered that story, and I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, well, and then the thing is, it's like there's a scene where basically Swarm has his Swarm attack a guy and basically, you know, kill him on the spot there. And I don't know about you guys, but bees really give me the heebie-jeebies. And unfortunately, that's passed on to my son. So anytime he even hears a bee, he's like swatting the air all around him. And he's like, ah! 15-year-old kid, big as a house, and he's sitting there swatting around like that. But I, I mean, yeah, bee, bees give me the creeps. I, I've had a couple bee incidents over the course of my life. Fortunately, I'm not allergic. If I was allergic, I'd be dead. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, that and, – and so Swarm doing that, yeah, really, really – Creep me out. That uh, yeah. <laughs> and just Swarm himself is a is just a creepy character as well. I mean, uh, a skeleton animated by a bunch of bees that he controls is like wow. <laughs> That's a really great concept for a creepy character. Yeah. Yeah. Good choice. So that. Yep. Thanks. Cool. My next one. Um, you know, it's funny how many I didn't think that, that many of us were going to go to the X-Men well so many times, but we did. And uh, my next one is X-Men 135. And that's the first full Dark Phoenix issue. Um, this is the one, of course, where uh, right after they've escaped from the Hellfire Club and Jean has been you know, manipulated by Mastermind. And at the end of the previous issue, she caused their sky vehicle to explode. And she announced herself as Dark Phoenix. And this is where we first get to see the, the Dark Phoenix, uh, you know, just acting against the X-Men with such power and ferocity that it really made you lose hope. There's nothing that they could do to fight against her. She's just too powerful. And, of course, it doesn't it doesn't get you until later to realize she didn't kill them. She she kind of spared them. But she, she could have so easily... Mm -hmm. killed him but she did and yet there was a sense of fear the entire time when she turned that tree that colossus was lifting to gold and he couldn't change his armored form and that thing fell on i thought he was going to be crushed and, and and that was just you know scary and then so she finally leaves and what does she do she goes out and she eats a star and the imagery of that is, of course, you know, eating the star, the star goes nova, and then they show the people, the Dabari on the planet, realizing that their star has just gone nova, and within just a few minutes, they were all wiped out. And, of course, the idea of that happening, no matter what side of the planet they're on, nothing you can do, nowhere you can go. If it happens, you're dead. And that, as a kid, and, again, I'm 13 years old, or, or whatever, you know, at, at this point in time, it just, that really bugged me. The book just gave me this sick feeling, mm -hmm. you know. Well, of, 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 up until then, I don't think we'd had a scene of genocide uh, in a comic no. book. Uh, and no. of course, that was the, the, the point that Shooter made that she needed to pay for that. But as we know from reading Elsewhere, not all of them died. Some of them survived. Yep, Vuk, 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 whatever. He's, they're still they're still around somewhere in Elswin. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he mentions you know, something about that. Anyway, but that yeah, that's uh, 
that's my real X-Men entry into that. Um, I thought that was a good one to pick. You guys have any thoughts on it? No, it's other than it's, it's just, it, it's to your point, it's not scary. It's just the scale of death that she caused that again, you, you had not seen that in, in what still was considered a Katie's books or, you know, so, another another yeah. one you know, kind of is related to the story. The issue before was what she did to Mastermind is really crazy. Yeah, now. deservedly yeah. so. But still, the that you take a character, a hero, <laughs> and even though she's like racked and ravaged with psychotic crap from White Queen and Mastermind torturing her mentally like that. But just the depravity that she gave him to satisfy that thing and then left him there. That was kind of a, a creepy, scary thing as well. That someone with Cooper, that, that the character could do that. So, well, that was yeah. more torturous. Yeah. She was trying to get yeah. back at him instead of just yeah. straight up killing him. She was trying to really. Um, uh, 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 go ahead. Make him pay. Just, yeah, make him pay. Exactly. It was more uh, payback uh, than it was just punishment. And and if you ever see somebody that wants to be a Tibetan monk, you could always show them that issue and say, "This is what happens when you're one with everything." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on, I'm going to go across the street, and the, the, these next two will actually probably surprise you. But uh, my, the the fourth one here is Action Comics 585, and of course, this is one of Burns' first uh, action comics. Uh, with the guest Phantom Stranger, and they go up with the uh, they go up against those um, the, the basically the dead rising from the grave thanks to the uh, the, just, the gemstone the gemstone of antiquity or whatever they call that that wound up in the the, the uh, it was a cemetery for uh, the bodies of criminals that were executed, and it's given them life and it turns into this gigantic whirlwind of earth and lightning and it's got this demonic skeletal face um that runs it and it's just the the imagery of that creature was so creepy to me uh there's like a a really really good image on um well there was a page 15 of that book has this image of superman flying way above it up in the air and you can still see it down there and you can see its face and the detail that Byrne puts into it just makes this thing so massive and creepy. And uh, ultimately, while the Phantom Stranger is fighting it on the spiritual plane, Superman has to get down and do what Brandon Ruth did at the end of Superman Returns and take this whole thing up, up, up and away. And it's just it's so incredibly massive. And you're just like, how can Superman even move all that? But he does. Um, really, a- doesn't that come back later when he teams up with the Green Lanterns because it mutates yeah. or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that's right. And, and I mean, the thing is, he never once tried to throw it into the sun. So you know, I mean, I, I think that may have uh, ticked off Scott Gardner, but you know, <laughs> the, universe, the universe's trash can throw it into the sun. Yeah, throw it into the sun. Yep. But yeah, that's so. That's uh, one of mine there. I, I thought that was a, a cool departure because I was sitting there trying to think. I mean, again, when, when we're sitting there thinking about scary books, it's hard for a comic book to be scary. Even even the scary one, the ones that are written to be scary, House of Mystery and, and all that, you know, just 
they're creepy stories, but they're not scary. And then right. again, this is that's what we get with this. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that one was a, a good one in that regard uh, for me. Again, very well done uh, thing. You know, it's just the art. It's uh, Byrne and Giordano and his people. Uh, so just uh, really, really good stuff there. Any any other comments on that one before I give you my last? No, that's a good pick. Okay. Yeah. My last one is also an action comic. And it's Action 595. And this is the issue that introduces us to the Silver Banshee. Mm. And the reason why I picked this one uh, it is because, well, Silver Banshee is just a, a strange character. But anybody that she talks to, any male that she talks to, dies they they age so incredibly fast kind of like that guy at the end of indiana jones and the last crusade <laughs> and so she's got this power to insta kill and i'll tell you right now insta kill just fills me with dread with any character it goes all the way back to star trek the motion picture how powerful Viger was it can insta kill three klingon ships just like that and she had this ability to do that so I'm just like, how does Superman beat that? How does Superman beat that? But the 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 uh, eccentricities of her power, and uh, you know, how she has to identify people to be able to use it, uh, of course, makes all the difference there. But um, yeah, she was she just her power just scares the crap out of me. Well, we covered that. We covered that early. That's an mm-hmm. early episode we covered. So I I think what I do is I put links. Anything anything we covered in these lists that we've covered before, I'll put links in so that they can go back. It's almost and, all of them. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of them. They can go back and uh, watch it and listen to them. Yeah, the other scary thing about this issue is Lois Lane's little boy hairdo. <laughs> he gave her that page boy, kind of can't page boy look when he first started drawing her. Yeah. And I guess that was yeah. popular at the time. And then, of course, the Manhunter crossover, the Millennium crossover, that's scary, too, but all for different reasons. <laughs> cool. I, okay, that's my top five. All right, I guess I will go. And mine, like John, is a little different because I didn't pick, to your point, Brian, quote, scary stuff. I picked stuff that stood out to me and stayed with me and it's either disturbing mm-hmm. or kind of horrific so these are stuff that you know of all the stuff i've read these kind of these kind of kept you know stayed with me as as being uh disturbing to me so mine are more panels I, they're issues but they're more specific panels in issues so mine are more, and these are not in any particular order uh my first one is superman number 22 from june of 88 uh, titled The Price, page six, panel three. And this is the story where the alternate Earth, where Superman, where the Earth, where the three Kryptonian criminals have basically devastated the entire world. And the panel I'm referring to is when the three heroes that were left, which was Oliver Queen, Bruce Wayne, and uh, Guy, uh, uh, Hal Jordan, without mm-hmm. superpowers are trying to help Lex Luthor and they are dispatched very quickly by the three villains. And the panel that bothered me the most was when it's Zora. Is that her name? Yeah. Yeah. 
Zora. Yeah, yeah, Zora. It's, yeah, Zora. It's, it's, it's Zora. Zayora. Like Feora, but with a Z. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she pulls Oliver Queen out of his, they're in these fighter jets. She pulls him out and she backhands him and Byrne has drawn it that his head is just a fountain of blood. It is just... and Scanner's explosion. Exactly. And that's what bothered me the most is because this is someone with the power of Superman putting their hand across his head so his head is just liquefied and just burst like a like a watermelon so and that, that panel has always proof. stayed with me exactly it's, and it's all red proof, yeah. it's all red i mean it is a just a yeah. fountain of blood um that whole storyline is, is that stayed with me all of it but that i thought was cool because they you got three uh, i think they were establishing that you know these three guys would be heroes no matter what they don't have superpowers, but they are heroes. They're the three that are left in the earth, and they're trying to help Luther defeat these guys. Uh, and they're easily killed. So it comes down to Luther and Superman. So that panel has always has always stuck with me. Um, my next is Alpha Flight number sixteen from August of eighty four. Uh, mm. It's titled "And Forsaking All Others," and it's page seventeen. It's a splash page, page seventeen. <clears throat> this is a story with the master and in a previous page in order to stop him puck had jumped over him and pulled his helmet off and then the whole complex that he's on starts to fall apart and in the splash page you see a close-up of the master and apparently the helmet was fused or integrated into his skin so his face is it's like blistered and torn and it's kind of puffy and he tells him you know that helmet was a part of me it controlled this whole complex so that the idea that his skin is kind of just peeled away as that helmet gets ripped off has always bothered me and he looks kind of like it's a top half of his head and his hair yeah. is gone uh and it looks like, almost like jason Voorhees or something but it's a close-up and I think if he was drawing it today, it'd be much more gruesome because it's not like a lot of blood, but you can tell that just a layer of skin has been flayed as that as Puck ripped the helmet off of him. Do, um, do you know what I thought of when I read this? There was a, an issue, I think, of Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man where Spidey had to fight Sabretooth, and he webbed his face, and Sabretooth ripped it off and basically ripped off his skin. skin. This is what it should, yeah, this is what it should have looked like except blood-covered. Yep. Uh, I think that I think that he'd done an image and I think that they told him no this is too too much for code. And Probably. so he he did it down like this. And this is still when he was actually uh, no Bob, Bob Wycheck inked it. So uh yeah, I mean it, uh, I I would love to see the original pencil page, the the original of it, but yeah, I think that uh, he kind of got told eh, too much. And so he had Probably. to back off a little bit. All right, my number Ooh. three is, um, we've covered this one too, I think. Uh, Fantastic Four number 260 from August of 83, When Titans Clash, page 17, 18, panels three and four. Uh, this is when Tyrex comes back. He's been infused with the cosmic power by Doc Doom, but he's quickly burning himself out, and he's fighting the Silver Surfer. 
and he had previously fused Doc Doom's armor. So he's just standing there like a statue. He can't move. And Tyrex is just becoming... He says he's just boiling away. He is just being consumed by the power of Cosmic. So as the Surfer and Tyrex plunge to the Earth, right onto Doom, who says it just he's an armored figure who screams, and then he, they plummet into him. And the next scene is the surfer is getting out of like a, uh, a pool of goo. I mean, Doom is basically Luck liquefied. Yeah, Doom is liquefied. Yeah. Only thing left is this guy. So I thought that was, one, a, a horrific way to go because the character can see this thing coming. He can't move. He's stuck in this armor. Uh, of course, we find out later that, you know, spoilers, that he had switched minds and that was some innocent man in there. Who's a Doom with him. <laughs> or Doombot, whatever we call it. Yeah. Um, but that was just, it, it's a great sense of raw power and also a, a terrific way to die. Just to, I mean, yeah, sure it was over in a second. But. Well, think, uh, think about this. Not, not, it, all that power is going on, and he is wearing metal armor. And so that armor is going to give him a little bit of protection, and then it's going to heat up, and then it's going to melt. Yeah. So it's almost like you're in a microwave. And oh, it yeah. just, uh, yeah, just, oh. <laughs> he probably lived long enough to experience the pain for a few brief seconds. Yeah, if, if he Doom's wasn't armor, wearing so the armor, yeah, if he wasn't wearing the armor, he would have been vaporized instantly. Yep. But, no, he had to cook a bit first. <laughs> uh, that, uh. All right. My, <laughs> my number four is OMAC, number one, September of 91. Past Imperfect, and it's a splash page. It's the way Byrne opens this four-issue. We've covered this, but it's the way he opens this four-run deluxe Formax book that he did. It's all black and white, and the first scene we see, and this is for mature readers, so it's a little more graphic, is Omak being blown into in a shower of guts mm -hmm. and blood and entrails, uh, and he's got this... He's just, agony and he and he says he has a he had a reputation for being in, indestructible it was not entirely warranted and <laughs> the, the following thing you see him kind of crawling across the earth and his lower half is barely hanging on until he could be revived by brother eye but i just thought okay this is how we're going to start this story i know burns <laughs> not gonna he's not holding back so throughout the, the whole these all these issues he was much more graphic <clears throat> and I liked it because like, we hadn't seen stuff like this before. It's like, wow, he can he can kind of do whatever he wants to do in this book. So that's always uh, uh, been kind of, especially the following scene where he's he's crawling along and his guts are all kind of hanging out and his legs are backwards and um, so that was that was gross. Yeah, and, that's a good pick. Uh, my final. And it's just that's really scary, but it just always kind of bothered me. Is Avengers Annual number 14 from July of 85, fifth column. And we've covered this with Back to the Bends. This is this, the the two FF and Avengers Angels that kind of bookend each other. Oh. Uh, page 24, yeah. panel two and three. It's when, uh, and I don't know if it's Zybek, Zybok, Zipke, however, however pronouncing this scroll. Uh, he has to kind of pour himself into this armor so he'll be protected. 
from the bomb he's going to set off that's going to lock all the uh, the scroll in whatever form they're in. They won't be able to shape change anymore. Um, so it's that page. You kind of see how he's poured himself in. They big cutaway. You see he's poured as intricately poured himself into all these little bits and pieces of this armor. In page 28, panel 4, is when he realizes that he was not protected from the bomb. And there's this horrific look on his face. He sees a close-up of his face, and he's kind of looking yeah. at the Avengers. And he realizes that, no, I'm stuck in this thing. I can't change either. <laughs> and that is just, from the panel before, we see where he's kind of poured himself into these little, he's, uh, it's, uh, he's not just fitting into it like a, exo armor he has actually poured himself into it and then you realize he's stuck in it that for some reason has always bothered me that he's oh yeah, that's great oh david just joined and then he, he's also what i came David's in like here. a wrecking ball hey dude <laughs> David. I, I think the thing that scares him the most is he has to go the rest of his life with that pencil thin mustache <laughs> well that too yeah, I think it's retcon that he survives somehow later. He's able to get out of that or, or change well, they, something. They, they undo they undo that thing so they can shape change again. Yeah. So I mean, you know, uh, again, you know, the scrolls are you know like the the back end of the Marvel universe. They you know Galactus goes and eats their home world, and then they get this happen to him. Yeah. It's kind of interesting what they're going to do in the MCU. So I can't wait to see what happens with Secret Invasion. They will. Well, that was, that's a creepy, oh. creepy pick there, Tim. Thank yeah, you. Be, again, these are not. So you be scared of other people, but these are just panels that have always stuck in my brain. So mm -hmm. that was my list. David, did you do your homework? Do you have a list? Uh, my dog ate it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I just came by to say hi. Yes, I'm still alive. I think Nigel uh, had made a comment that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like the wild card. <laughs> well, off the top of your head, do you have any moments that stick out that of a comic from John Byrne? That's kind of creepy, scary, disturbing. Not off the top of my head, but I did want to pop in and say, uh, if you haven't watched Werewolf by Night, oh yeah, if you're, if you're a Werewolf by Night fan, that is on Disney Plus. Um, it's a one-off special, so there's no commitment to multi-week watching it's about 45 minutes don't, long don't spoil anything i'm not going to spoil it we, we, we talked about it earlier and and we we really really resisted the urge to you know spoil the big yeah yeah it's great it's uh yeah. it's a it's a fun 45 minutes uh my wife was even entertained watching and of course then she peppered me right after with who's this and who's that and wah 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 um <laughs> So that's really that's really good. Um, I am caught up on She-Hulk, although I haven't joined the shows for She-Hulk. Um, mm. My wife uh, has been really enjoying that, which is good, right? Gives her another superhero thing for us to watch together. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, it's been everywhere. But love seeing Matt Murdock uh, in his Daredevil, his, his uh, yellow and red Daredevil yes. outfit. Um. So yeah really good good time now to uh to be a disney plus subscriber especially if you like some comic content mm -hmm. um i hope that werewolf by night opens the door 
to bringing, you know, my favorite period of Marvel horror comics, which is, you know, the mid to late 70s, right, with Mm -hmm. uh, Werewolf by Night, Tomb of Dracula, uh, Man-Thing, I could go on and on. Uh, The Living Mummy? The Living Mummy. Uh um, Frankenstein? Frankenstein's Monster, uh, the Vampire comics that, uh, that they had that were not Tomb of Dracula. So, like, son, of, they, son of Satan. They tried that. Son of Satan. They, didn't they do a show with? Uh, he was Damon. It didn't run very long. I think it ran a season, but they did a TV show on. He was Damien Hellstrom. Yeah, it was Hellstrom. It was Hellstrom. Yeah, it wasn't called Son yeah. of Satan, and it was him and his. They had, I, I they watched. Did, yeah. Yeah, I lost interest in that one pretty quick. Yeah, I watched <laughs> one episode and like, yeah, I'm out. Um, <laughs> So allegedly, from what I've been able to find online, if there's high viewing numbers for Werewolf by Night, it may open the door to further specials or, you know, series from some of those characters. I don't know how Tomb of Dracula would work. Um, I think Dracula is in the public domain, but I don't, you know. I I see a series they could make from it, but I'm not going to mention what it is because it's a spoiler. Um but yeah, no, that's that's like, and I gotta say, the the werewolf effect was actually probably one of the best werewolf effects I've seen in a long time. I I'm not a fan of the the um, what's it, what are those the lichens and the vampire movies with what's oh, your name? Underworld. I see, I like those. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not, I'm not necessarily a big fan of that vampire look. I'm definitely not a fan. I mean, I. While I love the movie Werewolf, American Werewolf in London, I didn't like the actual appearance of the wolf. After all, you know, it, was, well, it just wasn't. Well, there's three versions, basically, and I can't think of the names. There's three types, which is they become a wolf, like American Werewolf, an actual wolf. Yeah. They become yeah. more like the Wolfman, where it's a he's still more looks like a guy, but he's got yeah. wolf features. And then there's the underworld type, where they have more of a wolf yeah. head. They've got the the weird wolf legs. Yeah, bigger uh, body. I, I, I bigger still bodies. like the Lon the Lon Chaney Michael Landon werewolf look. You know, the ah who put too much pepper on my eggs look, you know? <laughs> uh, it just it just yeah uh, was was to me the ideal look of a man and a wolf put together. And that's supposed to be to me what it should be, not someone that's turned full into a wolf or someone that turns into the Hulk that's hairy. And that's what the 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 the, the, those movies make me think of as more of like a Hulk. Well, the, that, uh, the underworld werewolves hair. always thought looked like yeah, Mexican Mexican hairless. They didn't have enough fur. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah, I like I, I, I like those werewolves because I like the idea because you know there's always that power dynamic between you know, um, vampires and werewolves. Right, vampires think yeah. that nothing can take them down. Right, and werewolves can. Um, so I like the kind of bigger werewolf, you know, where they're more physically imposing. Um, and I think the, oh, there was another werewolf movie that scared the crap out of me as a kid where it was like in a cabin. Uh, It'll come to me. You can tell me. Oh, dog soldiers. Yes. Dog soldiers was later. I thought that was in the nineties. It well, yeah. Where I think it's the two thousands, but that's in a cabin. It's a house. Yeah. Um, this is earlier than that. Um, um, oh, the, the howling. 
the howling yes oh, the howling okay yeah <laughs> that's that's the sh- shot and stuff and yeah that's yeah, rob Bottin's yeah. makeup versus john land or uh rick baker's makeup in american werewolf that's the two that went head to head that year yeah yeah and then there was um wolfen wasn't wolfen no wolfen actually had real wolves yeah well, they were like a subspecies of intelligent wolves yeah um, yeah but you know, I mean, the thing is, like the wolf rep- Wolfman representations in movies of late. Yeah, I, I mean, I fact of the matter is, I don't even know what the Wolfman from the Wolfman that uh, had Benicio del Toro in it um, ultimately it looked like. I, I thought it was supposed to be a take off the Lon Chaney version, but I, I it never is. saw I think that. That's Rick Baker's makeup, and I think that's actually pretty good. It, it updates uh, it so he's a little I mean, more. Yeah, but the story was so I I, I never story got wasn't, that yeah. far into it. It was horrible. The story wasn't good. And so I just the, I lost interest. In, I mean, again, I wasn't in the theater; I was at home, so I just turned it off. It would it would have been better if they had not made Anthony Hopkins the, his father the werewolf. <laughs> just yeah, you know, kept him just kept to, to tell Toro as the uh, I am your father. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny. I'm going to go back to the books here. None of us, no one, brought up for their list Giant Size Dracula number five. And I think it just goes to show that, that story was just such a yuck. Of course, well, it's not we, like, he just drew it. Yeah, and we we covered it. It, was it, so, and it wasn't yeah. as creepy. I mean, I, I thought about, is it Action Comics Annual 1 with Batman and the Vampire Skeeter? Yeah, yeah. I thought about that because that's Magnolia art, I think. That Vern wrote. Uh, art Adams. Is it Art Adams? Okay. Art, uh, yeah, Art Adams. I think Terry Austin or or Dick Giordano. I forget, but one yeah. of those. Ooh. But yeah, I, I just thought it was funny. The one story that's actually a horror story that he did early on in his career. And it's no, no, nobody's got it. I mean. I guess you could call the castle a horror story, but it didn't really have any kind of scare factor. What? I thought about Earth Angel, which we covered last year. For oh, Halloween. the alien story? The alien story. But none of that stood out to me. Maybe because no, all the ones I listed were when I was younger and I read them. That's what they stood, stood, in, my, stood in my head. Before I forget, and I wasn't trying to derail us into uh, shows... <laughs> but I have sitting, I have sitting on my shelf. Mar- Marvel Horror Lives Again Omnibus uh, was released yeah. back in October of 2020. Uh, I'll rattle off what I think. So Burn gets credit in there. Uh, so it collects the Tomb of Dracula number 10 and 67, Fear number 24, Marvel Preview number three, The Incredible Hulk 162, 180 to 181, and 272. The Uncanny X-Men series, 139 and 140. So those would be Wendigo. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Marvel Spotlight, number 24. Marvel Premiere, number 27. Marvel Team Up, 80 and 81. I'm trying to remember what those were. Mm. Marvel Premiere, 27. That one uh, rings a bell. Let me take a look. Uh, Giant Size Chillers, number one. Uh, the Uncanny X-Men Annual, number six. Uh, War is Hell, 9 through 15, The Man Thing, 10 and 11, Marvel Comics Presents, 1 and 2, uh, and material from Vampire Tales. That was the series I was trying to remember. I've got that in the collection, uh-huh. too. Okay, uh, so Marvel Marvel Premiere 27 is a Satana story. 
written by Chris Claremont. And it's funny because the artist for this story is the tribe. And so it's not any one artist. I can see some Gene Colan in it. Uh, Steve Leloa looks like he did the inks, if I was guessing just based on the, the work there. But Gene Colan and Steve Leloa should not be matched up at all, ever, if that's <laughs> the case. I'm going to go to Mike's Amazing World and take a look. Um, so, and you said Marvel Team Up 8081? Yeah. It's also Chris Claremont's story. It's Doctor Strange in the first issue and Satana in the second one. Mm. And also featuring Marvel's TV sensation. <laughs> Satana, Satana would be another good one to bring into a, a Disney Plus kind of horror verse. You know, she would be a great a great addition to that, definitely. Uh, let's see, Marvel Comics. Okay, uh, The Haunt of Horror. I'm sorry, let me back up. Uh, Marvel Previews, 7 and 8, 12 and 16. Monsters Unleashed, number 9. The Haunt of Horror, which was a magazine. It's my favorite size. I wish they still did those. Number 2 and 4 and 5. Dracula Lives, which I have some of those. Those are magazine size too. Number 10 and 11. The Tomb of Dracula Magazine, number 3 and 5 and 6. Uh, Solo Avengers, number 5. Huh. Rampaging Hulk, which was also a magazine. I don't have. I think I only have a couple of those. Those are those are kind of spendy. Mm -hmm. uh, number one through six, and number eight, and then Strange Tales, uh, number seventy-three, and the Legion of Monsters, number one. So if you if you like this kind of stuff, um, I'm only about halfway through reading the omnibus. I'm like halfway through reading like twelve different omnibuses at the moment. <laughs> But there's, you know, all this stuff. I don't even have to, have to tell you it all. To, um, all that is in the '70s, you know, uh, '70s to I think may, maybe early '80s. Is that book still available, David, or is it out of print? Uh, let me check real quick. Because I know some and of those. While are... you're looking at that, the that Satana story that we're talking about, I, I I'm just like shocked because. The Tribe is a pseudonym for two guys working together, Tony DeZuniga and Sonny Trinidad. Hmm. And um, they did you know, pencils and inks on it. And, and, I mean, I love Tony DeZuniga's work, so I'm really shocked at this one because it, it's not, not the kind of stuff I – again, it has a look of old Marvel, like uh, late 60s, early 70s kind of Marvel horror. It doesn't look like the later stuff. It definitely doesn't look like Dezuniga's consistent work. Well, those essentials I've That's looked at, they put out a, an essential, I think, of Frankenstein's Monster. They put one out which is called Essential Marvel Horror. And those are hard to find. They're a little pricey because they're out of print and you can't get them on the cheap. Mm. You think they would just do an omnibus of just the horror stuff, like Son of Satan, Frankenstein, uh, the the Living Mummy. I'm not very familiar with that one, John. Uh, I mean, Ghost Rider could be called in there, but he was kind of on his own thing. Werewolf by Night. Uh, the Werewolf by Night omnibus that came out years ago. I wonder if they'll reprint that now. I I probably had that for five or six years. Um. You can get it. Diamond's out of stock, but if you do a quick eBay search, um, 
you know, of course, there's two different covers. There's like the modern cover, which I think is uh, in Hayek Lee. And then the one I have is the cover by John Ramita Sr. Nice. Uh, so about 80 bucks for the more modern cover, 100 bucks if you want the, the vintage cover. That's so you can get it if you want. Yeah. No. It's twelve hundred pages, so it's a it's a it's a big one. It's a thigh breaker. That's a vagrant killer. Vagrant killer is Andy would it's say. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, so does it give the weight here? Yeah. I don't see. It. Yeah, but that's that's a big that's on the bigger side. Usually, like the biggest ones are like fifteen to sixteen hundred pages. So twelve hundred. I mean, you're getting a lot of material. Mm -hmm. I'm get your feet wet into marble yeah. horror. <clears throat> All right. Well, any uh, final thoughts on? Uh, one, I want to thank David for showing up and letting us know that he's still alive and kicking. I am, and I have a brand new cement driveway. All right. Uh, awesome. Awesome. I can't drive <laughs> on for 30 days. <laughs> oh, it's got a cure. Uh. Did you, well, uh, did you lay well, your initials in it, nice and big? No, I asked my wife. I said, you know, do you want to like, do the kids thing? They're not home right now, so I can say this. Um, I said, do you want to do the kids thing? You know, let them put their handprints in there. She's like, not my eighteen thousand dollar driveway. <laughs> 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 um, just just to put things in perspective, how the pendulum swings. So, Werewolf by Night was one of Marvel's, uh, the omnibus was a clearance item. Uh, back in 2015, 2016, like it couldn't even give them away. I think as a retailer, I could buy them for like 25 bucks. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, I'm assuming because of the Disney Plus special, they're now listing on eBay for $300. I see 270 one with bits with 10 hours left. That's at 150 no, I'm, I'm glad I, I picked mine up, I think, for 60 bucks at a at a shop years ago so i'm glad i picked yep. it up then it's like the uh the dracula omnibus i kind of chased that for a long yep. time i couldn't find the essentials and then i found the omnibus reasonably priced so i just grabbed it yeah that's a perennial one that they come back with every few years and they'll do a another print by few years i mean like every five years they may come out and do another print and then they just they sell out immediately yeah i saw this is Kind of off topic, but I was in Barnes and Noble last night. And I was looking at the graphic novel se section, which is tiny compared to the manga section. If you go to look at manga, they've got about twelve sections of that stuff, and Marvel, you know, the graphic novels are about two. But somebody's put out a book on it's FF number one, panel by panel, and mm -hmm. they cover each panel and they zoom in on each panel. So each it's a probably eleven by seventeen book pretty big book each page is one panel of that issue and then at the end they cover each page and have like a paragraph or two describing what's on the page and things that might have changed and inspiration and writing notes things like that so the whole book is uh, covering one comic it seems a bit of overkill it is it is it'd be, it'd be, it'd have to be like a super <laughs> ultra die hard fan of FF number one. Yeah. Ooh. Cool. All um, right. Well, I think we can wrap this up. But 
Yeah, and, and, and David, I want to talk to you about something uh, after we drop. So don't don't drop just yet. I never met her before. I don't know who she is. <laughs> I was never there. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that, you don't have to worry about me from now, but legal's going to be giving you a call pretty soon. HR. Um, no, uh, Dufo and his lawyers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. Okay, well, I will uh, let you know if you want to get a hold of us. Write us at gottagetburned at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Uh, likes, dislikes, gripes, compliments. We we will take all. Or recipes. We're always recipes. open for recipes. We, we, yeah, we've had one recipe in like the seven years we've been doing this. Uh, <laughs> uh, go to our Facebook uh, group, uh, Third Degree Burn. We get a lot of our feedback there. You'll find all our new shows there. If you don't want to subscribe to them on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever your pod catcher is. Um, and that, I think that's it. I want to hope everybody has a fun and safe Halloween. It's my favorite time of the year. Um, be sure to get your decorations up. Be sure to go out and, you know, put plenty of candy out for the kids. And I want to yeah. thank everybody for hanging around this long and listening. Yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Uh, this year, my wife, you know, as you may know, each year we serve like hot dogs. Uh, to the neighbors as, our, as the kids come and get their candy and bottled water. And it's expanded over the past couple of years. Uh, my father-in-law procured a uh, industrial popcorn machine. So we'll be serving popcorn. We started doing that last year. And then this year, my wife has gotten a cotton candy machine. Oh. So, I mean, soon we're going to be having rides out in the yard, <laughs> a fun house with mirrors and a bouncy house for the, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next. But, the, carnival, uh, the, 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 the Hughes House Carnival. Yeah, it's, it's uh, turned into a big thing. And we, we got, of course, our my daughter and her boyfriend, Sarah and Gio, are going to be out here uh, helping out. And um, we got some other volunteers coming in. So it's uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, um, looking I've forward seen to pictures. It. It's, it's a it's a pretty big uh, event. And uh, look out for uh, my uh, journal updates. I don't know if you saw it in the cantina, but um, I my son had found for me a Rorschach mask that actually adjusts to your breathing heat, and so it looks like the morphing mask of Rorschach. Nice. So so that's, that's my custom like scene. that on the Facebook or whatever. I saw some kind of um, thing that looked pretty creepy. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I bet. All right. Uh, anybody got anything else? No, I think we're uh, we're good. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to us. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope that you have a safe, happy, and fun Halloween. Now, scare everybody else. Scare the crap out of those kids, but you know, have a good time doing it. Uh, for Third Degree Burn, we've got David Thompson. Happy Halloween. John Hyatt. Tim Elliott. Good night. We did have Kirk Greenfield, but he had to go on to greener pastures. Thank you, Kirk. And I'm Brian Hughes for Third Degree Burn. Have a happy Halloween. See something strange Come with us and you will see
this our town of Halloween. This is Halloween, this is Halloween. Pumpkin scream in the dead of night. This is Halloween, everybody make a scene. Chick or treat till the neighbor's gonna die of fright. It's our town, everybody scream. In this town of Halloween. I am the one hiding under your bed. Teeth pound sharp and eyes glowing red. I am the one hiding under your stairs. Like snakes and spiders in my hair. This is Halloween, this is Halloween, 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 Halloween. In this town we call home, anywhere hail to the pumpkin song. In this town, thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to Gotta get burned at gmail.com. That's G O T T A G E T B Y R N E D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.